Welcome to another edition of Touring the AFC South. I am your host, Mike Patton. Thank you all for tuning in, whether you're tuning in on uh, Spotify, whether you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're tuning in from. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you like what you're listening to on Spotify, I would appreciate it if you can give me a five star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would appreciate it if you can give me a five star rating and a review. Thank you very much. Now, for this week's show, we have a very, very, very special guest. Um, we have Mr. John Lobon. Now, plenty may not know who that is, but after this episode, you'll definitely know about him and a few other people that know that are known as the Syracuse Eight. Yes, I have a member of the Syracuse Eight on my show today, and we're going to talk about all that went on. And trust me. You will definitely, definitely get educated and you will definitely learn a lot about what went on and what led up to uh, what all they did and what great things that they did to stand up for themselves and their rights. Now, that's a little later in the show. But of course, up first, I have the get it off your chest segment. Now, this week, I've got a few names. Got Logan Woodside. You know, you've got Sam Darnold, you've got Drew Locke, you got Jacob Eason, you got Chad Henney, you've got Shane Bouchel. What do all these names have in common? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't throw in Felipe Franks. He's on the Atlanta Falcons too. And then you got Matt Barclay as well. Barkley, I'm sorry. Uh, Barclay, Barkley, I'm pretty sure that nobody will miss or, or uh, well, I'll, 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 get off, I'll get off of that one. But anyway, um... All these names are quarterbacks that have contracts in the NFL. Now, I have a question for everyone. Can you say these quarterbacks are better than Colin Kaepernick? Now, Colin Kaepernick had a was an honorary captain for Jim Harbaugh at the University of Michigan this uh, past weekend. And he had a throwing session at halftime. Looked pretty crisp. Crisp. I'm sorry. The ball had had a lot of zip on it, and he he looked well. And of course, you know, the usual pundits come out. Well, if he was that good, he wasn't that good, and he did this, and he did that, and he got beat out by this person, he got beat out by that person, and and he shouldn't really be in the NFL anyway. He just was a bad quarterback. Interesting, interesting in the comments. I mean, honestly, he had his ups and downs at some points. But he was a pretty solid quarterback. And can you really tell me that he's not better than a Colt McCoy? Excuse me. Not a, a Matt Barkley, a Logan Woodside, anyone the Panthers have under contract, Drew Locke, a Jacob Eason in Seattle, a Chad Henney and Shane Bouchel in Kansas City. Can you tell me that he is not better than all the guys that I mentioned? I mean, a Felipe Franks in Atlanta, 
Can you say he's that better? Now, the biggest thing that some people want to bring up is that, you know, he he's he wants to come in and be a starter. But, you know, the one thing I, that I can say is, do you know this? Have you been at his house hearing him talk about it? He can still play in the NFL, people. He can still play. But, you know, it seems every time it comes up with, with the name Colin Kaepernick comes up, there's always a reason or an excuse or anything like that to say he can't be in the NFL. Or, you know, I know the one that is talked about is, of course, he he took payments from the NFL. He they basically he basically won. He sued the NFL and won. And there's no way he's going to be back in the NFL. Well, I still think there's a chance that he could be back in the NFL, albeit, albeit slim. But if you look at some of the players that are in the NFL right now, there's no way he shouldn't be on somebody's roster. There really isn't. I mean, just look at it. I just gave you the names. If you need to hear the names again, I'll tell them to you. Chad Henning and Shane Buchel, Buchel, I'm sorry, Kansas City. Drew Locke and Jacob, Jacob Eason, I think he's better than both of them. The Carolina Panthers quarterbacks, yes, he's better. Atlanta Falcons, Felipe Franks, he's better. He's slated to be the backup right now, Falcons fans. So just want to let you know. The backup for the Titans, Logan Woodside. Have we really seen him play in any type of situation? Do we really know if he's really that good? Hey, that's no offense to Logan Woodside. I'm just saying we don't know. Matt Barkley, Buffalo Bills. Of course, he's the third quarterback, but still, bad. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a few names right there. There's probably more scenarios that people can create as well uh, or, or talk about where Colin could probably be better than the quarterbacks or the back quarterbacks. But wherever you want to put this, wherever you want to talk about it, we know Colin's better than those quarterbacks. And he should have a job in the NFL. I mean, of course, he sued the NFL and people were like, oh, well, he's never going to get back in because of that. Well, there is a certain particular guy that actually, you know, is coaching right now. He, albeit he's not a head coach right now, but he's suing the NFL actively suing the NFL, and here he is, a coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, I'm talking about that gentleman that is suing the NFL. You know the name. I don't even need to give you the name. You know the name. So before we start talking about he can't because he sued the NFL or he can't play quarterback or he's not that good and things like that, examine and read the room. Just examine and read the room. Don't just make blanket statements and, and think everything's going to be okay and no one's going to check on it because, hey, I went and got the facts for you. He's better than those quarterbacks I mentioned. Tell me I'm lying. I, I promise you, I, you would be wrong. So that's what I have for today. I, I mean, honestly, he's better than all of these quarterbacks. Do I see him probably getting in the league? There's a slim chance, but you can't tell me that it's because he's not better than any of the quarterbacks I just mentioned. Somebody can try to tell me, but I, I honestly wouldn't believe you. That's my get it off your chest rant for today. And up next, we have Mr. John Lobon on touring the AFC South with your host, Mike Patton. We'll be right back after this quick break. Going through some things and not quite sure who to turn to? Well, let me tell you about peace of mind counseling and life coaching. They offer services ranging from mental health counseling, parenting classes, 
life coaching services, therapy, alcohol and drug assessments, and so much more. And all the services are monitored by licensed supervisors. Also, they're currently offering free consultations for counseling or life coaching. All you need to do to get started is reach out to them online at www.peacemindclc.com or give them a call at 615-930-1230 to get started. Again, you can reach out to them online at www.peacemindclc.com or give them a call at 615-930-1230. So if you feel you need to talk to someone or know someone that needs to talk to someone, take the time to reach out to Peace of Mind Counseling and Life Coaching, where the motto is, it costs you your peace of mind, then it is too expensive. Welcome to Touring the AFC South. I should say welcome back to Touring the AFC South. I am your host, Mike Patton. And, you know, I always, I don't always go by, you know, the beat of everyone else's drum on my show. I, I normally talk about the AFC South, but I thought today's guest was too important to be leaving it in the AFC South. My guest tonight is one of the uh, standouts in terms of the Syracuse 8, and I wanted to bring him on to talk about that, Mr. John Lobon. How you doing, man? Mike, how you doing? I am doing great. I'm doing great. And, you know, for those that aren't aware, just to kind of give everyone, like, you know, lead them up to the Syracuse 8, you grew up in Hartford, Connecticut. And right. what was it? What was it like growing up there in Harvard, Connecticut? You know, I, I did read a little bit about you in terms of uh, grew up in uh, housing projects in in Hartford, Connecticut. Right, right. I'm I was I'm a native of Hartford, uh, born and raised. And I, my youthful years, I was um, I grew up in a housing project. Uh, it was like uh, 500 units, known as Bellevue Square. And I spent, uh, I would say, a good portion of my youthful years there. And then um, uh, when I went to uh, junior high, uh, we moved out of the projects. And uh, with that, um, I started uh, uh, my, then I went to high school. But in my youthful days, I started playing midget football when I was about 10, which is probably you know the normal age for kids to play and um you know that was the uh, training ground you know to find out whether or not you you, you want to play the game or or not and uh i fell in love with the game and truthfully i i always believe this that um anyone that plays the game has to love the game because it's it's you know to like I always say, to practice five days a week for one day of glory, that's not like any other sport. You know that uh, you got to put in that time and effort uh, to get prepared and and not not only mentally but physically as well. So I was able to, in my uh, 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 my midget days, you know, uh, I thought I tried to determine what, what positions I wanted to play so uh, I did try the running back one time and didn't like that. Uh, you know, people <laughs> hit you doing that. So uh, I decided I became a lineman and I played, uh, I played guard 
as a midget uh, player. And then uh, when I left that uh, junior high and went on to high school, my uh, one of my high school coaches, I also have a twin brother who okay. has, been has been deceased, but um, we both went in and the uh, coach made the comment that uh, one of you going to be a sinner. He wanted one of us to be a sinner. I said, I'll take it. It was a lineman. I, you know, I, and it wound up my brother was a running back and he was a fullback. Um, so that started me out in high school. Um, and then I knew this is where I was going to focus. And, um, you know, I put in the work. Right. Right. It sounds like, uh, definitely, uh, you were, you were, uh, just reading about you. You definitely fell in love at the, the age of 10 with, uh, with football. And, uh, yeah, you definitely have to love the game yes. to practice and definitely play one game. I played all the way through college. So okay. I definitely, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. I definitely <laughs> understand. <laughs> yeah. So I got to ask, um, you know, how was it, you know, and others, I read about the visit to Syracuse and, you know, things like that. And you thinking that it was a one way and you got there and it was another. So how was it like when you just like first got to Syracuse as a freshman on campus? Well, you know, what it was, was, you know, the nostalgia about it, you know, going to Cuse um, and, you know, following the footsteps of a Jim Brown, a Ernie Davis, and even a Floyd Little, you know, were the uh, the name players that uh, were recognized by pretty much everybody. Uh, but you know, Jim Brown was was the one I was in love with. You know, uh, love with Cleveland Browns and Jim. So it it turned out to be one of those things that I could follow in his footsteps. So you know, you know, you know, being 18 years old and not having you no, know, you know. Uh, and being somewhat uh, uh, reclusive in a sense of in a small town, you know, I didn't go a whole lot of places, you know, other than New York City, you know, Massachusetts, something like that. But, you know, I wasn't a, a traveler per se. So um, when I got the, uh, the invite to uh, attend Syracuse, you know, that was, uh, you know, something I wasn't expecting at all, uh, really, because uh, um, I thought that, you know, the combination of the elitist aspect of it and then, you know, coming from a small town, um, you know, I, with somebody spot who I am, not like today, you got every, all kind of media and, 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 and programs and, 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 and resources to find out. But, you know, uh, so when I got to Syracuse, well, let me back up for a second. When I made the visit to see whether or not that's where I wanted to go, I had just come back from the University of Colorado uh, on a visit, and I fell in love with that right off the bat. It's a beautiful country out there. So, uh, <laughs> so when I got back, um, it was you know around this time of year. You know, they bring, you know, bring recruits in to visit the campus. Um, so I wound up going up there. And at that time, I met someone who would uh, eventually become uh, my roommate. And we made a pledge 
that, um, you know, we would come. If each other decided we would come, we both would go. We decided to do that. Um, when I got to Syracuse, you know, you, you had the feeling that, you know, it was in, in the city of Syracuse mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, you would assume that there may have been a lot more of us on campus. But in reality, that wasn't true because it was only like, I think it was 150 black mm-hmm. students on campus out of wow. 6,000. Wow. So, so, but the ironic part was um, I didn't, you know, you don't really get an opportunity to explore <laughs> playing football, you know, get up in the morning, go to classes. After class, you go to practice. After practice, you go study. After you study, you go to bed. So, you know, you didn't really have any time to deal with the the campus environment because of the mere fact you didn't have that chance to socialize because, you know, football was uh, a job. And so I didn't really get a chance to, excuse me, explore the campus or campus environment until after football season. And then, you know, you could finally see what the environment was. Uh, and the environment was, uh, you know, somewhat restricted, not restricted, but you, you, know, you only had certain places you could go where you could feel comfortable. And what wound up happening for me and, and me and my, my roommate, because we also had to introduce ourselves to the freshman class mm-hmm. of the black student that was there. So we did socialize. You know, but the um, if you look at it, the university wasn't prepared for uh, the influx of the black students that they had at that point, because we didn't really have any uh, what I would say accommodations in relationship to where we could participate, have fun. Um, so part of our our, our 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 work was to to make that happen where the university gave us a cottage where we could hang out at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the facilities other than that wasn't conducive to us. And then eventually we also, uh, they gave us a, a, one of the buildings uh, for a cultural center, which gave us another, a larger place to to participate and, uh, and, and enjoy each other's company. And um, so, but, I, you know, you realize that Campus-wide, uh, we were secluded with on the campus. So where was our outlet? It was in the city. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's ironic, the, the actual part, uh, if you look at, I, I call it, the university was somewhat surrounded by, if you want, the hood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then in order to get through the hood, that's how you get downtown. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, so you have, we have black folks right there in the, I said the university community. Uh, but at that point in time, um, they weren't allowed on campus. Wow. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, that was a fight that we had to um, get involved with because we felt that that wasn't, that wasn't proper. 
that you couldn't, you know, I mean, they're right there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, almost basically couldn't walk across the campus. Wow. And, and so it was, you know, you got to remember, you know, we're in that heavy flip time in relationship to civil rights and, uh, you know, somewhat of some equality. But there was, you know, there was there was injustice there as well. Gotcha. So this is, this is right around uh, the end of the 1960s going right into 1970, correct? Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. All yep. right. I got so, there. I got there in 68. Okay. All right. Okay. So, of course, you know, all these different things going on around you, all these injustices that you're seeing and then the injustices that you're experiencing with the lack of medical care the the classes and things like that um that's um you know that i would say probably led up to the to the uh the stand that you took against the university correct yeah it was you know like you're saying it was a combination of things um you know um you know not only the 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 environment with on the campus itself but you know what was uh, uh, done within the athletic department um as it relates to participation um and then with that uh, you know what we saw was you know the best wasn't playing mm -hmm. you can you can you can fight with anybody about that and people have different opinions on that but based on my how i see it the best players weren't being played and mm -hmm. so you know that added to some of the frustration um because i came here to play football i didn't come there for the politics of it right. and so there were politics in this uh and so you know with that uh you know with the uh with the poor medical treatment that uh that we received as well uh, you know it was accumulation of things you know playing time based on your merit um, and not who you knew or what you knew or who knew who. It was more of a thing that, you know, it was an uphill battle uh, every day because, you know, understanding that, you know, we always have to perform a step above that, you know, that was one of the criteria of, you know, I have to prove myself each and every day as it relates to, you know, who I am and my abilities to play this game right right and you know definitely uh that had to be frustrating to know that you're playing your best and you're better than the person out there but because of the color of your skin that you were sitting on the sideline because uh you know and then you like i read uh there were visits there were let I me mean, sorry uh road games that a certain amount of black players or no black players would probably be able to go because of traveling is, is that correct well let me let me let me give it to you in the in, in, a, in, a, in another fashion, but what you're saying is actually correct. Unbeknownst to us, okay, there was what they call a twofer rule. The twofer rule was you can't have any more than two black ball players on the field or even on the basketball court at any given time. Two, not three, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. And Jim Brown can verify this. You can talk to him. He can, you know, that's where, how we found out about it, okay? That that was the unhidden, the hidden rule. Uh, matter of fact, Jim Brown quit playing basketball because of that rule, because he wow. played basketball as well. A lot of people don't know that. He was a basketball player, 
lacrosse is, you know, he was the king of lacrosse. He was the GOAT, let me put it like that, in lacrosse. And then, you know, he was, uh, you know, a football star that, you know, he didn't have it easy as well because he ran into those, uh, I want to call, um, issues of, of who you are and are you obedient. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's that's the, the, the crawl is that, you know, we had to take a lot of, of verbal uh, discomfort relative to be calling a boy and, you know, uh, you know, with our hair getting, you know, they didn't, we were, those days we were wearing afros. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't fit their criteria um, because, you know, uh, they, they, they call it fizz, you know, mm-hmm. so it was more of a thing that, you know, we had to be indoctrined to the system. Not come in there with who we are or what we are, but to come in and be the fall in line. And I think what would happen, especially with me and my my roommate Greg, um, we wasn't conducive to doing that. You know, I'm I'm here as as long as you know. I, I always say we have two contracts. You have a contract to get me an education. And I have a contract to participate in football. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I called, I said, if you look at it based on today's environment, I was an employee because I was raising money for that university by going out there and participating in the game that they derive revenues from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, you know, we needed to take care of each other, but I saw it as, um, you know, me trying to fulfill what I needed to do in order to be eligible to play, but also that, you know, you know, they needed to assure that I had the environment that it was conducive to that. But my freshman year um, uh, gave me an insight of what was to come, and it came. And um, uh, I remember, you know, when we got there, me and Greg got there, they have a a thing they do and after uh during a day of practice after the freshmen you know you go into the dining hall and you got to do that you know they got you standing on the table and you know you got to answer to the other ball players you know mm-hmm. so um and i will never forget it because i thought it was as we talked about it uh, uh over the years with my with my roommate we came to the conclusion that they wanted us to perform a vaudeville act, you know, because the first thing they asked is to sing our school song. And so I politely said, uh, I don't know it. And so they asked Greg the same thing, and he replied the same way. So they asked me to dance. So I told him I can't dance either. So now you're hearing the rumblings out there. Oh, these guys think they tough. We got to take care of them. Okay. And then the final one was they wanted me to hold Greg's hand. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. Oh, let me tell you. Okay. So uh, I'm not going to hold his hand. So after that, you know, you know, we got the, we got the rolling eyes and the, the murmurs and stuff as well. So in order to teach me, they're going to teach me a lesson. Okay. The next day in practice, they bring, an all-american tackle 
from Varsity to go against me on the one-on-one blocking and, and tackling and running back. So I assume he was there to, to teach me a lesson because he was Varsity. I'm a freshman. And when he came over, we ran the play. We ran it three times. Normally you do it two times. We ran it three times. Because the first two times, he never touched the running back. Mm-hmm. Third time, he touched him. He tackled him. It was five yards down. So I guess what got me in trouble was um, they, he told, the coach told uh, the player to go back over to the varsity. So I made the comment. I said, that's an All-American. And then everybody said, yeah, Ray's All-American. I said, okay. If he All-American, I know I'm going to be an All-American. The coach heard that, okay? Mm-hmm. And I meant it for him to hear it, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so that was my indoctrination into, you know, football in Syracuse. But I proved and every time he, I was put in a position, I came out on top. Right. So, right. you know, so I wasn't going to be subservient to them. As I said, I came here to play football. I didn't come here for the politics. So that was the beginning of of my journey. Now, to to step back, my freshman year, I was recruited as a defensive player. Mm -hmm. When I got there, the center that they had recruited was, I was like 220 at that point in time as a center. (laughs) And the other guy was a 230. But he was only five seven. Mm-hmm. Quarterback was six three. So they they said to me, John, can you play center? <coughs> Excuse me. I said, I thought I was recruited for defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know we got this problem. Then I said, well, okay, it's your dime. I'll play wherever you want me to play. So I played center for the freshman team. So I assumed that was going to be the position that I was going to play for Syracuse. Well, when we, we went, we were undefeated. We were five and zero, mm-hmm. so we had a good season. So they make they make predicaments. You know how everybody comes up. Who's going to be starting from the freshman team on the varsity? So um, Joe Ehrman, who was one of our teammates, who eventually played for the Baltimore Colts, he was a tackle, and they made the assumption that I would be the starting varsity center. Because mm-hmm. the varsity center they had, he was going into his senior year. He was probably maybe five nine somewhere in that area, about one eighty five. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, I'm on my way to almost two thirty. So, they decide when I my sophomore year they're going to put me back on defense. I played middle linebacker and center in high school. But they, everybody knew if I didn't play center, I should be playing middle linebacker. Because right. in, in my freshman year, uh, we scrimmaged the varsity one day. Mm-hmm. And one day they let me play defense. And I played defense, they let me play middle linebacker. And uh, we were scrimmaging the varsity, and one of the Syracuse 8 players, uh, alias Al Newton, now Ali Mohammed. He was a fullback. 
So he got the ball. Mike, I hit him so hard, the, the noise echoed throughout the field. You heard a big crack. <laughs> Everybody stopped to see what happened. And what happened was um, I hit him so hard that the ex my helmet, you know, right here, it came right. down and broke the blood, broke the skin on my nose. Wow. Okay. So I was bleeding at that point. And what, what happened was one of my teammates um, said to me, said, John, your nose is bleeding. And he, we happened to, we had a good freshman class. We actually had a reunion at one time, the freshman mm -hmm. class. And, and Kyle Lombardo was the guy. He got up and said, let me tell you, and they called it the defining moment of the freshman team. And he described that play when I hit Al and turned to the huddle. And he said, I said to John, your nose is bleeding. So he said, uh, all John did was put his hand in his helmet, wipe the blood off, and call the next defensive set. And he said, I, all of a sudden, I wondered, what am I doing out here? Okay. <laughs> so, so not knowing that Swartzwaller likes, if it's a fluke, he call the play again. Mm -hmm. I didn't know this. So they, they called the play again. Got the same results. Caught him in the hole, but this time I didn't take him down. Just grabbed him, picked him up, walked him back, stood him up, and hit him on his can. <laughs> and he said, he said, good play. I said, I'm just here to play football. And he went back, and I didn't find out this till recently, that he said when he went back to the huddle, Swaswaller coach said to him, you let a freshman hit you like that? And Ali replied, he said, he can play. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that's the last time I played middle linebacker. Oh goodness! Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so when it, like I said, so I had made who I am my freshman year, and I was blocking for my roommate because he was a running back. So I always made sure he had protection. And so, uh, you know, so then we go into our sophomore year, and then they turn me over on defense, but they made me a defensive end. Mm-hmm. Which back in those days uh, became a passive position mm -hmm. because of the Houston option, the three-way option, fit, right. give to the four, go out, keep or pitch. So you had to play passive because if you had the ball, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> that was that attack mentality that I had in my in, in, in my spirit. Okay, right. wherever the ball is, I'm going for it. So. I had to learn to back off. I started my sophomore year as a defensive end. Mm -hmm. And we never thought about it until recently as, we, as we're going through uh, a, a, a revisit of those times that on the defense, there were three of us. Mm -hmm. I was a defensive end. Uh, Clarence Bucky McGill was a defensive end. And Dwayne Spoo Walker was, <coughs> excuse me, was a defensive back. Mm -hmm. Not knowing that two for rule. Right. Okay. So 
Then on on offense, it was my buddy Greg, my roommate. He was a wingback, tailback, wide receiver. He was all around. Mm-hmm. And Al Newton was the fullback. Right. And you had uh, John Gobbo, who was another uh, uh, running back. But there was only two of them starting over there. Mm. Okay. Gotcha. We, we went to play Kansas. And after the Kansas guy, what happened was the guy got wide of me. But I did run him down. Mm-hmm. They pulled me out the game. Hmm. And then they put this guy, he was from Connecticut as well. They mm-hmm. put him in, in my position, in the, in the position I played. That speaks for itself. But I didn't find out till later he had a sponsor. Okay. Okay. So, okay, you know what happens with that. Hey, you ain't playing my guy. Hey, I'm taking, I'm not going, you know, I'm not going to contribute. So, um, you know, money talks and everything else is a game. Okay. So, Uh, that that I was the first one to get benched as a starter. Mm-hmm. We wound up going to um, that year. We went to um, uh, Wisconsin. First time in the history of the Syracuse program, there were three brothers in the backfield. They scored six touchdowns, two apiece. We ran Wisconsin out of their own park, okay? Mm-hmm. After that game, we were out, you know, you, you know, you win, you celebrate. Okay, right. so, you know, we're waiting to load up, and so we having a good time. And the coach walked by him and made the comment, you know, you know, enjoy yourself now because it's a short walk from the parlor to the outhouse. You could see the oxygen just leave John's body because he knew what that meant. He was never going to play again. Mm, Goodness gracious. Goodness. Do you feel the need? The need for speed? Yeah. I know. We're not living in Top Gun times. But if you have a middle or high school student looking to gain speed or you are a collegiate or professional athlete that's wanting to get faster, then you need to check out Hulk Flash Performance, a partner of X3 Performance located at Boost Fit Club in Nashville, Tennessee. Middle schoolers, you can train up to two times a week for $200 and high schoolers, three times a week for $300. Now let me give you some facts about speed training. Speed training is a skill that grows like a tree, meaning you could see quick and dramatic improvements, but for the best results, those happen over long periods of time. Are you ready to commit to the process? If so, you can fill out the form at form.jotform.com backslash 212-725-252-786056. Again, that is form.jotform.com backslash 212-725-252-786056. And someone will contact you as soon as possible. Let's sit, let's get you to top speed with Hulk Flash performance. Great. So, 
those are things, those are just some of the samples of things that was transpiring that had a cause and effect. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, of course, you know, plenty of uh, talk about, you know, there's the Syracuse 8 or the, you know, or some actually in Wikipedia, for, uh, just for example, says yeah. the Syracuse 9. Can you kind of give us a kind of a definitive whether it's a Syracuse 8 or Syracuse 9? Because, you know, there, there's different things out there. No, and that and that's the problem. Okay, that is a problem. What what was stated? Okay, if anybody wants to do their research, mm -hmm. okay, that eight of us walked off the field in 1970. Eight of us. Okay, the person that they're describing in there was no longer on the team. Okay, uh, uh, so, but he was there when this when this was going on. He was along with the five other players, the guys ahead of us, because at that point in time in in '69, uh, 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 he, he was one freshman, two sophomores. That was me and Greg, and mm -hmm. then five juniors at that point that uh uh were playing so uh, when 1970 came there were 10 black ball players two decided to go back and and everyone who participated in this boycott made this decision on their own each each person decided on personally what they wanted to do as I said, two of those players went back. And we had no issue with that. Okay. Uh, you know, they had their reasons. And in turn, uh, you know, you know, we went along. Well, so the number is eight. Mm -hmm. One of the guys in front of us felt that, you know, uh, this player should be brought in as part of the boycott, mm -hmm. uh, to be truthful, I I didn't agree with that. Okay, so, uh, but you know, I'm outnumbered, so they use that as saying that there were nine, but in 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 in, in, in factual facts, there was only eight. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called the Syracuse Eight. Right. If we right, if we right. if we if we believed that it was nine, we would have changed the number to nine. But the number has been the Syracuse eight since it happened. And right. all documents, historical or whatever, will show you the eight names of the eight ball players that walked off the field. Right. You know, to be a supporter, yeah, that's all well and good. But that doesn't, you know, we had a lot of supporters. So if, if we had, if, if supporter was one of the ways that you can incorporate yourself as part of the Syracuse 8, then we would be probably Syracuse 2000. Okay? <laughs> so that, what I'm trying to say is, it was stated that, you know, they got it wrong. Nobody got it wrong because the actual names of the eight players 
are the only names that show up through that historical time period. So, <coughs> excuse me, nine is not realistic. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So how do you, uh, you know, your legacy, what can you say about the legacy today when it comes to uh, knowing your rights and fighting for your rights and what you all did uh, back back in that time? Now, for those that aren't aware, 1970, you all didn't play a single game, correct? Right. We boycotted the entire season. Right. I just want to make sure so everyone knows there's no confusion, anything like right. that. Um what do you what what do you say to to those about the you know what do you think is a, your legacy in terms of knowing your rights and sports and and kind of setting that foundation for a guy like a Colin Kaepernick to come after and, and know his rights and stand for his rights as well? Or well, Neil you know, I, well, my, I think it's you know if you look at it at the time period, uh, you know, you know, you know. 1970s, two years after Martin was assassinated. Didn't see much right there, but, you know, that was there, okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were new somewhat, you know, when I boycotted in 19, I was 20 years old, mm -hmm. okay? Um, you know, so, uh, you know, not having the, the intellect in relationship to the legal environment, you know, we just followed certain people that you know we used uh, or became advisors to us on the process okay um i mean if i knew what i know today they would have been in court but yeah. we didn't have that insight nor did we have that support because you know there was no way we could afford to challenge a university or even the NCAA, mm -hmm. okay, because what it what would it have accomplished if we had to try that? So, <clears throat> excuse me, we didn't have the foresight. We relied on others to, you know, help navigate us through the process. I mean, one one of the best things that came of it, we didn't lose our scholarships. That was one of the attempts as well but i think they were advised that it may look bad if you take their scholarships and so you know you're gonna put the full uh, uh 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 put the full hammer on them when in reality what we were talking about which is mostly confusing confusing by others we wasn't doing it just for ourselves if you look at the demands that we made, we asked for better medical treatment. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's for everybody. That ain't just for us. But you know, let's put it this way: we didn't trust the medical treatment. Okay. I hear you there. Okay. <clears throat> better academic support. If I go to a away game, come in, come back. I may I may miss Friday's classes, mm -hmm. so I need to make that up. So, which is normal now, you have academic advisors. Well, the white ball players had academic advisors. We had student advisors. I had to find somebody that was in my class. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So 
Then you look at merit based on the best players. Everybody can see. You can start the week out. You know, you have a depth chart, one, two, three. If you won two, if it's a away game, you're most likely going to go. If you're number three, you ain't making a trip. Mm -hmm. Well, depending on what mood they were in during that week, they would in turn, let's say, number two player, they wasn't feeling it. They drop them to three. So when you go look for the travel squad, they put the list on the board to see if you're traveling. You could have been practicing in number two all week and go read. Now you're in number three. Mm. So there, there was there were mon monopolies in relationship to how they played that game based on whether or not you was on the travel squad. Gotcha, gotcha. Wow, it's a lot, a lot that went on and, and led up to everything that uh, happened. And uh, I mean, I just want to applaud all of you. I just want to say the names. Uh, I'd be uh, Greg Allen, be Richard uh, Bulls, correct? Right. Uh, be Dana Harrell. Right. John Gabo. Right. Uh, you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've got uh, Bucky McGill. Right. And uh, at, th at that time, it was Al Newton. Now it's right. A. Alif Muhammad. Muhammad, right, right. Okay. So right. yeah, I just want to pay respect to all of you. I mean, Did you get Greg Bucky, Allen in there. What's Did that? Greg, Greg Allen. Greg Allen. I didn't put Greg Allen in there. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm a little slow. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. But uh, I yep. just want to, uh, you know, pay respects to you all for for standing up for your rights and doing what you felt needed to be done, no matter what the consequences would be. And I just want to, you know, definitely you know, show respect to y'all and, and thank you for coming on. But of course, I don't want to end with, uh, you know, just talking about everything there. I'd like to, you know, put a little fun into the end of, of the show. Okay. And uh, I got a game and I've got two choices for you. Okay. You got to pick one. Now, I did put, put, uh, put uh, you know, uh, today's NFL. I did put a couple of today's NFL players in one of them. Mm-hmm. But. Mm -hmm. We're gonna go with uh, I I kind of took it a little back with uh with with two of the questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. We've got Ernie Davis or Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. I I, I was pretty sure you were gonna pick Jim Brown. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got uh, another one for you. And 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 these two gentlemen definitely fought a lot for for rights and and be the the rights to be treated fairly and equally. That'd be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell. So which one there? I would go with uh, Bill Russell. Yeah, Bill Russell did a lot of things, and he took a Bill lot did of did a uh, bunch of things. Yeah, yes, he definitely yes. did. He, he definitely was a, a, a powerful on the court and off the court as well, as well as a game changer being. Uh, I mean, if, 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 the NBA. yeah, they both were great, but I think Bill was the ambassador because mm -hmm. Bill stood his ground. Yes, he uh, did. You know, and he and he didn't flicker at any given point in time. So, yeah, I, I give it to, I'll give it to the old man. I'm an old <laughs> man too, but I'll I'll give it to the I'll give it to the the elder. Let me put it like that, the elder. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, yeah. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go go a little bit newer on these two. Okay. I've got quarterbacks. I've got Dak Prescott or Lamar Jackson. Uh, I would go with Lamar. 
Lamar, yeah, definitely he's got the wheels, and he, he he's got the, that's that's where I'm going with the wheel. Yeah, he's got the wheels. Yep, 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 yep. All right, and running backs, both of these guys play in the AFC South, playing the AFC South, and both of them are top two of the top rushers in uh or two of the top rushers over the last couple of years. That'd be the tight Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry, or the Indianapolis Colts, Jonathan Taylor. I would go with Henry. Henry, yeah. When you see that big man running at you, oh boy. <laughs> hey, hey, at some point you start praying, you know. <laughs> well, I, I definitely, definitely enjoyed hearing, uh, you know, definitely the, the, the things that you uh, provide, the information that provided, the depth you provided about all that went on at Syracuse during your time there and what led to the stand of the, of the Syracuse 8. I just appreciate you coming on, and I would love to uh, uh, for you to let everyone know where they can find you at if you're on social media or uh, what other things you have working on or in the works currently. Well, I'm on I'm on Facebook. Um, the other ones I don't I don't even touch Instagram. No, I don't. I ain't, I ain't got. It. I'm, too, <laughs> I'm I'm a little too far down the road to even think about doing that. So, <laughs> but you know, I I do. We have, we do have a, an LLC, the Syracuse 8 LLC, uh, and uh, you can contact us or find other additional information about us on Syracuse8.com. Um, and what we have been doing is um, speaking engagements. So uh, if, if, if you would like us to, uh, to uh, uh, come and speak to any group or any association, you know, you can contact us, um, any one of us uh, at, the, at the Syracuse 8 LLC. That would be myself, uh, Greg Allen, and Alif Mohammed um, would be, be the contacts for the LLC. And so we we have we've been going on on tour. Uh, we just was out at the University of of the Pacific um, about a month ago doing a, a speaking engagement out there. Um, it looks like we may be going back to. Uh, um, California as well because we might be getting a, another invite and I've done some blogs and um, you know some uh, zoom uh, calls as well so you know we'll we'll fall into any medium that, that that's needed uh, or we that they're looking for to uh, give us opportunity to tell the story uh, and let me let me just say one other thing Mike I forgot to say when we right. talked about the four demands, I talked about three of them, but the fourth one was the one that blew everything out of the water. Diversifying the coaching staff. That's when it got black and white. Right. Okay. At that point in time, since 1898, there was never a black coach in Syracuse. Wow. So what one of the things that we tried to bring forth was we need someone that we can talk to that can communicate our concerns because telling them you know we're not a boy or any other doc derogatory names <coughs> excuse me they choose the, the use was un unacceptable but you know you can say it, but they look at you like you're crazy. So that was, I think, the piece 
that took it and blew everything out of the water because now that became Pacific. Everything else was general. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think that's what they exploded over. And then that's when it became a black and white issue. But let me just say this to you. There was a 38-page report written in December of that year. The end, in, in the end, the report stated we were right. Racism exists and not worthy of an institution within the athletic department of Syracuse University. So we were right, but we still got punished. Mm. We got blackballed by the NFL um, because they considered us troublemakers and militants. You know, we were labeled troublemakers and militants in them days, mm. you know, in the late 60s, early 70s. You know, if you if you ain't towing the line, then you got to be an outsider and you got to be the bad guy. And uh, my, my roommate, Greg, went to Canada to play ball. And we, we laugh at it today, even though it wasn't funny, uh, that they went out of the country and got him. Mm. They got him released from the CFL. Wow. And we wound up in Hartford together, playing mm. semi-pro. Figured that we could, you know, maybe backdoor our way into the NFL. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the, the, the day before Greg was going to report to Hartford, um, the coach on the Hartford Knights told me that he wanted to meet, see me the, the next day after practice, and somebody I knew was coming into town. I had no clue who that was. The next day, he wound up being my roommate. Mm-hmm. And he met with us after that practice. And he stated to us, he said, I'm just going to be straight with you guys. Ain't no need of you trying to go to the next level because you've been blackballed. They consider you militants and troublemakers, and they're not going to allow you to come up there and disrupt the NFL. That's when I knew it was over. And mm. it was time to move on uh, with my life relative that, um, you know, that was that was a, a dream deferred. Um, so I had to go and now make a life myself and my family and in turn continue the fight and that's what i did you know in, in, in my career in my banking career um you know um i had to explain to them that slavery was over with mm-hmm. um and I, I i walked out of the door as a banker um when um, i was i had done what no one else had done uh, in the in the bank uh, as a as a as a, a, a AVP, and I was the first black to ever run the head office of this bank in its 200 year history. Wow! And I and, and then in turn, I they couldn't pass audits mm-hmm. in the head office. Now all your all your branches, your head office can't pass an audit. You got a problem. That's right. what I was brought in to fix. I fixed it. And then once it was done, um, audit came in and they passed. They completely freaked out. What they gonna do with me now that I've done what nobody else can do? <laughs> All those who came before me failed, went to the next assignment as as BPs. I came in and succeeded 
and left as an AVP. So I didn't get the title. I didn't care about that. But you promised me compensation, and now they hemmed and hawed about the compensation. Mm. It wasn't shortly. It was probably, I want to say, maybe six months later, I finally I walked out. And I went to my next career in the state of Connecticut where I, uh, I was for 29 years uh, working on economic development. And then for my last 19 years, I was helping minority and women-owned businesses access capital. But then again, you know, uh, I had to deal with the environments of, uh, you know, knowing people knew a lot. I knew a lot of bankers, so they knew me. But one thing I always told them was one thing that you did that you didn't realize you did, you made me understand how you function. And with that, that's how I could help people of color and women navigate the system to their advantage. They didn't like that either, but I, I didn't really care. Um, so uh, I became also, so I did that for uh, for 19 years. I, and I also was a commissioner on the Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities. Uh, the governor, Governor Rennell, Rennell um, had me appointed. I got appointed to that position. I had to go in front of the, the, the legislature and get appointed. I got appointed to that. But I didn't realize until I was there the game they wanted to play. Mm -hmm. The game they wanted to play was they had an executive director, the head of the uh, human rights, who was black. The goal was for me to come in and fire him. Mm. And I caught on to that. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't do it. Because what he was trying to do was what they needed. Mm -hmm. But they didn't want the system to work. Mm. So I, I was in I was in that position for a year. And uh when uh you get you get appointed for four years, okay. Mm -hmm. So when I didn't do what they wanted to do, they took me away the chair, <coughs> excuse me, the chair position, and gave it to somebody else. Okay. That's when I. So I've been playing games for a whole lot of time in a whole lot of different places, but one thing I didn't lose is my principles. I hear you. I hate me, okay. If you don't believe in your principles, then don't believe in anything because you can go for anything. So, and I all and I say that in reality, Syracuse University prepared me for that. Right. Okay. Right. You know, because that's where corporate America is. Most people don't want to believe that. That's where it comes from. It comes from your colleges and universities. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, fighting a system as big as a university and still standing wherever room i went into they knew i was in the room because you're not going to just you know uh uh and I'll, I'll end with this here one thing that one of my bosses said to me that he uh he came to recognize and he said john the only thing you're looking for is respect i said that's what anybody looks for right Okay, here's respect. So 
if you if you if you don't feel as though you can't respect me, then that's all well and good because I'll move. I'll keep keep on stepping, and I've run into incidents where I had to let people know that where their heads was wasn't acceptable. Right. And so you know, and if 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 you don't want to know, don't ask. A lot of people ask, but they didn't like what they heard even. So that's like it. I keep it real. Keep right. it real. It's the only way to keep it, right? Yes, it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Well, I definitely want to thank you again for uh coming on and, and dropping your wisdom and, and talking about, you know, the giving us context of you know the Syracuse eight and then also your life after uh football as well. Uh I want to thank everyone that tuned in. Uh Mr. John Lobon. I will say this, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for everyone listening and tuning in. You've been watching and listening to Touring the ASC South with your host, Mike Patton. We're out.